Bienvenidos. You're listening to Ancestors and Mente Podcast, hosted by me, Alan Chirino. To learn more about the show and see additional content related to each episode, visit and follow the show's Instagram page at Ancestors and Mente. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes. Now, on with the show. Welcome, welcome, and muchos thank yous for joining me on this very first episode of Ancestors and Mente Podcast. To start off the show, I wanted to introduce myself and go into why I think that keeping our ancestors in mind as we go through life is such an important practice for living better and getting to where we want to be. And I want to go into this episode's topic of the term Latinx, what it means, what, why it's around, and who uses it. So stay tuned. started i am a first generation american or more specifically united states in if that's a thing i don't know but i'm part of the first generation of people born in my family that did not live somewhere else so there you go i am of cuban and argentinian descent and my pronouns are he and him and i was born and raised in hudson county new jersey and for those of you who don't know an area it's an area that has a huge immigrant population, especially cities like Union City, Jersey City, uh, West New York, North Bergen. And I want to say most of those immigrants are from Latin America. So, yeah, we have we have good food all over the place. And when huge events like the World Cup come around, you'll see banderas and camisetas being rocked and proudly shown all over the place. And I mean, we're proud people anyway, so you've probably already known where we're from or from where our family is from in the first minutes of conversation. I just did it a moment ago. Viva Cuba, viva Argentina. There you go. Uh, and I went to school, uh, I went to Catholic school from kindergarten to my senior year in high school. Yes, very long, very long time of indoctrinating Catholic principles into this mind. And, um, but I, I, I rebelled, as many people in Catholic school do. And I grew up during those years of kindergarten to eighth grade, though, in Hoboken. So from kindergarten to eighth grade in Hoboken. Hoboken is also in, in Hudson County. But the demographic is quite different. And I'll explain. Because Hoboken has this huge economic disparity that is very obvious <laughs> and where you have like one side that comes to live there um, that that it's like they work in New York City and since the city is only like a train ride away and it's also just a few minutes from the Lincoln Tunnel. So those people tend to have like a lot of money and they're really affluent. But then you have the families that have lived there since before the gentrification and after major businesses like Maxwell House Coffee relocated like their major factory or headquarters. I, I don't remember what it was. And so back in the day when my parents came from their countries, it was a place where a lot of people didn't want to live and it was kind of dangerous, but it was affordable. 
And so Hoboken now still has some of those residents from another era, so to speak. And they occupy a different side of Hoboken. And I don't I don't mean like that in like a metaphorical poet poetic kind of way. <laughs> I mean like it's literally a different side of, of Hoboken. Uh it's it's a place geographically within that one little square mile of a town where you see there's not really um any real estate development um and you can just tell the difference and so i went to school i went to uh, catholic school there um from kindergarten to eighth grade and um it was because obviously my parents could pay tuition for for it thankfully but it set me apart from those who went to public schools, which tended to be more diverse. And um, I was one of the few students in my grade um, that was of Latin American descent. And I realized that at lunch when my parents would pack me the most ethnic foods possible. It wasn't like your run of the mill ham and cheese sandwich. And I had no idea what bologna was until I saw it on TV once. And that was still a foreign concept because we never had it in my house and we never tried that. And I still don't have, I still don't even really know what that tastes like because I never tried it. But, um, but my lunches packed in my little yellow X-Men lunchbox, uh, had things like bocaditos con pastica or some cold ensalada rusa with sips of, with like the sips sabor Latino juice box. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but um, I don't know what Sips was trying to do, but they did it well. <laughs> but but even like the juice box was ethnic. Um, I mean, I it was like guayaba juice or pineapple juice that you would find. And it was starkly different than the apple juice, the high C and the Capri Suns that my friends had. And I got to have Capri Suns later on, like especially like during summer. And even going to like the supermarket with my mom and like nagging her until she got it for me. But at that age, like it's and just like sitting there, you just kind of want to be like the same. You want to you want to have the same stuff as the rest of your classmates. And so I was left not only comparing my food, but also myself to my peers uh, because we clearly lived entirely different lives. And that really stood out for me in terms of how I ended up seeing more, <clears throat> more of like my family and how we all interacted compared to other people's. So both of my parents worked and they worked a lot. So when it came to fundraisers, PTA meetings, school functions, any of that, my parents did not participate. And it was because also of their language barriers and not understanding enough English to be as active as they would have liked. But some of the other moms would notice that they would not show up to things. And I still remember like moms of other like classmates getting on top of me to be like, oh, we make sure that your mom is attending the next parent meeting. But I didn't even know how to fully articulate that she was too busy and that she wasn't going to show up. So... Um, I don't know. I treated like stranger danger, like get the hell away from me because I don't I don't know what to say. And I would just like I literally would. I would go to like the other side of like the the line of, of like leaving school or whatever we were doing just to avoid talking to moms since they seem to have like really like to talk to students. I don't know. Whatever. Um, but on top of all that, my parents were also super strict. So aside from now, all of these things of like me going into this grade, going into school daily um 
my parents never like really being there for the school stuff. I also like in terms of the social aspect, um, wasn't allowed to like really go to anybody's house or sleepover. Um, and I come from a very big family. So when it would come to like having like friends outside of, of school, my friends were like my cousins, (laughs) my primo hermanos that, you know, we, that, you know, we would see every weekend. And so, um, going to like somebody's house or sleeping over was never going to freaking happen. And I would ask, and my parents would say things like, well, we don't know those people. Uno nunca sabe. And, or like if I wanted to sleep over, which was never going to happen because I already, they, they already were never going to let me go over. Uh, it, they would tell me things like, but you got your own bed. So you don't need to sleep in somebody else's. And I mean, nowadays I get it. I'll turn down invites to places because I don't know what's going on over there. And especially if it seems shady and my, my bed, my bed has become one of my best friends and it's not the same sleeping somewhere else. I'm sorry. It's not. So look at that. Mommy had a point at the end, but another major influence growing up was also my exposure to religious and spiritual practices. That began not just with attending a Catholic school, but by seeing how people practice their faith within my family and what I would eventually venture out and read about. And um, I still remember having this memory of seeing my aunt leaving Agua y Comida by her statue of St. Jude. And when I'd ask her, like, what's that for? Why are you doing that? Because I went to Catholic school. I was a little expert in Catholic stuff, but that's not anything that we ever learned. And she would just explain to me that it was an offering that she was leaving to St. Jude and that it was she was petitioning him um, for doing something for her. And when I was around six years old, I also ha- remember having my cousin um, come over that summer um, to try to teach me how to read. And she'd bribe me to um, like finish the the little lessons that she was giving me to to learn by taking me to the religious shop near my house where I was allowed to buy something and it might have been a botanica but I don't remember it looking like one would usually look like uh but by the end of that summer I could tell you that I had my little collection of San Lazaro, Santa Teresa, and all the different types of Virgin Marys you can possibly think of and they all hung out on my cable box because they had magnets on the bottom and it was awesome. So they were all just, you know, they were also great. I even had like little magnets that I would put, I was apparently also really into magnets, um, fascinated by them apparently. So I had magnet everything, magnet saints, magnetized saints all over the place. <laughs> and um, eventually I also started though, reading about Greek mythology and that got me interested in other pantheons of other cultures And then it was like a whole chain reaction of getting into esoteric and magical practices, Buddhism, Hinduism, hoodoo practices of the South, brujeria, and eventually landing at Espiritismo as practiced in the Spanish-speaking Caribbean and African traditional religions. So all this brings me to the next point of why ancestors and why ancestors because in Espiritismo and African traditional religions, the concept of venerating ancestors is a huge deal. And I'll explain that in the next segment along with an oracle card reading.
the ancestors? Well, ancestor veneration or honoring our ancestors, it involves the deep love and respect that we have for our deceased and antepasados. And it's the belief that their spirit continues on and that they're capable of offering guidance, protection, and can even influence the fortune of the living. And we see ancestor reverence practiced in European, Asian, Oceanic, African, Afro-Diasporic cultures. And it's always with the goal that the living remain on the best camino or path for living a good life. And by being connected to our ancestors, we also stay connected to our roots and remember where it is that we came from. And also that we understand that we're not alone, especially during the tough times. And I remember that there was this quote from a Native American writer. Her name was uh, Linda Hogan. And it stayed with me for years. I, I saw it once, I think on Instagram or something like that. And I immediately screenshot it and I've kept it for years. And I refer back to it every once in a while. And she writes, walking, I am listening to a deeper way. Suddenly, all of my ancestors are behind me. Be still, they say. Watch and listen. You are the result of the love of thousands. And it's with this intention that I seek guidance from the ancestors through tools of divination. The first reading is going to be through oracle readings, um, through oracle cards. And in this episode, I'm using Kyle Gray's Angels and Ancestor, uh, Ancestors Oracle Cards. And oracle cards are interesting because uh, their structure in terms on, of the way that you use them are unique to the person that made them. So it's different from tarot, which we'll be using later since tarot has uh, some generalized ways, ways of using them, like going by traditional meanings of the cards, uh, but also using Western numerology and astrological systems, and even applying Kabbalah. And, uh, but I wanna say that, that all divination tools will train your intuition and ways for connecting with your spirits and ancestors. So the messages you will be getting from from the cards or from readings in general, after a while, we're gonna come from different places that and, and places that you can't find in a book. And they won't be meanings that you'll find in a book because they'll just be something that is speaking to you that will give you that message. Um, so here we go. So um, I'm just gonna shuffle and do um, a one card pull for, for these. Uh, oracle cards with these oracle cards and it's with asking what knowledge can we benefit from as we move forward and uh, one more shuffle okay and the card that comes up on top is the drum with a message on the bottom that says dream and journey so I find that I find that really interesting and I'm already kind of um, understanding where this plays in with things but before I get into what I understand about this or what I'm picking up from this card I want to use the guidebook so um, like I said every Oracle card um, deck has its own guidebook that's created by the author um, and it gives some extended message so um, So over here we see, uh, okay, so drum, dream and journey. 
And uh, I'm just going to read the short message. There's a whole bunch more, but I just want to get into this part. And it says, journey inwards to uncover insights and information that will be important for your path. Then follow the guidance. And I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Journey inwards. Um, especially since we're talking about connecting with our ancestors. And that's actually how you do it. Because when we say ancestor veneration, oftentimes we're stuck with thinking more about what it is that we actually do for that, like giving offerings, prayer, and so on. But that's us talking to them. And we need to then become quiet, go within, meditate, so that we can connect and hear the messages of those guides. Remember that quote that I said about from Linda Hogan earlier? She says it right there. Be still, watch, and listen. And that's what you have to do. I wanted to also say that dreams are often places where our muertos or our deceased will visit and give us messages. They're not always clear, but there's ways to make them more clear, but that's another topic and episode perhaps. But for now, it's good to go within, meditate. You can meditate in silence, or you can meditate with music, maybe even with the sound of a rhythmic drum to include, uh, to induce another level of consciousness. Either way, you'd benefit in doing so. Time for topic time. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that small little tidbit of of a jingle that I started there for topic time. Um, but I, I, I am a few, huge fan of alliteration. So topic time sounds great. Uh, so what is Latinx? So, uh, all right, before I get into this, into this topic, I do want to say that this is a complicated subject. And before anyone gets triggered, please understand that this next segment is to inspire further conversation and thought. And people seem to have a very uh, polarized and outraged, re and, and they have like outraged reactions when it comes to figuring out what to call oneself as well as the collective. So listener discretion is advised. Um, so um, labeling itself is challenging in a lot of ways. And anytime you try to introduce a broad descriptor for categorizing people, you always run into problems of inclusion and or inaccuracy. And for example, the terms uh, Latina, Latino, okay, are usually referring to the people from Spanish and Portuguese speaking countries found in Latin America, right? But then that excludes countries in Latin America that were not colonized by Spain or Portugal, such as Belize, Suriname, uh, French Guiana, Haiti, and a few others. Um, so to be Latino is already delineating differences about who gets to be in the club, separating our non-Spanish and Portuguese colonized neighbors. And perhaps that's just the idea, right? It's to just to make it specific, to tie up our cultural and sociopolitical histories that might share some characteristics, 
and uniting as a people for fighting injustices. And we see this especially when it comes to looking at it from the context of a Latino or Latina living in the United States, right? It's like this idea of Somos Unidos. And because Latino pushes uh, more into consideration geography than influence of culture or ethnic makeup, we can see it as encompassing all of our ethnic constructs. So not only are we focused on our colonized Spanish and Portuguese influences, we also equally consider our indigenous and African, as well as um, many other cultural identities that exist simultaneously. And so uh, it also kind of gives us the ability to hyphenate a lot easier. So if, for example, you tend to be more um, of somebody who identifies more with the African roots, especially um, because of the way that you present physically and um, how much of the African uh, traditions you've, uh, your, your family has been able to maintain or that you just connect with more, really, then we can hyphenate and say Afro-Latino, right? Um, and we can also do it with people whose existences are a lot more centered on, you know, let's say, for example, if they're Chinese descent and they're Latino, then, you know, it's Chino-Latino and, and so on and so forth. But again, labels are oftentimes limiting. And so in recent years, there's been this call for including another feature for inclusion in regards to gender identity. And in comes Latinx. And so Latinx is a gender neutral non-binary version for the former. The X serving a lot like uh, the algebraic X, uh, where you can substitute that for whatever you want, leaving the door open for people who do not identify as male or female. And as we know already, or maybe not know, but you're going to know now, <laughs> uh, Spanish is a gendered language, meaning that every word is either male or female. And, and so that's why you have la puerta, which is a door, but it's considered a grammatically feminine noun, as well as el carro or the car, which is masculine. And Spanish as a language can also have controversial and archaic implications as well. Um, I'd say that Spanish as a language in general is is pretty machista. Uh, like, you know, it, this having this exaggerated toxic masculinity. Um, and and like, I'll give you an example. A group of women can be hanging out together, right? And we would call them un grupo de amigas. But the moment that a man joins that group, the collective is referred to un grupo de amigos. And meaning that you can have a thousand women hanging out, but the moment you add one dude in there, the noun becomes masculine to observe that a man is now within that group. And what is this implying or what might this imply really? That men are superior, that they take precedence, and therein lies the issue. So. What Latinx um, does as a term is also combating this machista mentality. It's not just a non-binary inclusive word anymore. It's a symbol of progressive thought and attempts to shatter the patriarchal ideology that runs rampant 
in Latinx households. And nowadays, there's really no room for that, right? You know, especially since roles are changing in both Latin America and the U.S., where in heterosexual households, both men and women are needing to work. So they're leaving roles like the man being the breadwinner, so to speak, uh, to be a shared task. And men having to help more at home, which in a machista household is the quote unquote woman's job. And that's a big deal. So because as remember that language also has a very heavy um, overlay of of societal norms placed on, on top of it. And and that's a that's a big thing to be able to transform. But the machista culture is not just for the benefit and equality of all situations that often polarize towards men. Uh, it it's also allows men to be validated in expressing more of their emotions. That's a big one. And relieving them of these unrealistic burdens of carrying the family. And remember, the fall of the patriarchy is to dissolve. <laughs> Okay, we're not looking to, well, I mean, we can, we can look to destroy, but the thing is, is really the, the, word, the way that it would work more is that it's, it's working to dissolve toxic, rigid stereotypes that have kept men in authority so that, you know, everybody else flourishes. So we have to get rid of that obstacle first. Having Latinx as a word has come under a lot of criticism within the Latin American community particularly because there's not a clear way of pronouncing it in Spanish, for example. And it poses the argument that Spanish language grammar itself, the rules, should change, which would be a whole big problem for some people. Some even argue that it excludes non-binary Spanish speakers because they just can't pronounce it. So look at that. You have somebody who identifies as non-binary living, let's say, in Latin America, but because they're not English speakers or they're not native English speakers, that they can't even pronounce a word that is supposed to be existing to include them. And so you've just excluded them when you were trying to be more inclusive. You see, so it's, that's why I said earlier about these labelings as not being so perfect and uh, cookie cutter because there's, there's a lot of parts where it gets complicated. But here's the thing though, something to consider. Language is a living entity and it changes and evolves throughout time. It's for the same reason that we say, we don't say anymore, vuestra merced, and instead use usted. I mean, and don't get me started too on the many loan words that we've taken from the English language and are now staples in both spoken and written Spanish. So, you know, oh, there's all of that. Um, but it is a complicated thing and, and I, it gets rejected a lot, the, the title of, of Latinx. So it's no surprise that there's, there's a big push for it. Um, so despite all of this, uh, last year, uh, Think Now Research, it's a firm that enables companies and government agencies, uh, to look at like the cultural drivers that influence consumer decisions. Um, so it's this big firm. And it ran a national poll of Latinos using a 508 person sample. 
And that 508-person sample was um, demographically representative of the census figures that, that are found. And, and they found that 98%, 98% of Latinos preferred to use other terms to describe their, their ethnicity, and that was not Latinx. And there were only 2% that stated Latinx described, described them accurately. And that was thus the least popular ethnic label among Latinos. Don't even get me started, though, on which one ranked the highest. Because the highest I saw in the poll actually was Hispanic. Which goes back to, I mean, this is that's a whole other thing. Hispanic, you know, once again, pushing this idea of our Spanish influence or the Spanish influences within our cultures, which is a problem because it's, you know, very highly colonized minded. Um, but that just goes to show the many issues that a lot of Latinos have in general. But anyway, I have to say that I myself, in truth, would refer to myself as Cuban, Argentinian, American. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't fucking pick a damn any one of those other ones because I. I don't think that they're specific enough. But I get the point of using a broad descriptor, and if I had to choose, I would go by Latino, um, and that's because I'm a cisgendered male. But that wouldn't deter me from using Latinx and or any other descriptor that other people might otherwise identify as. And so I think that that's what's more important to do. Looking at Latinx and Latino, Latina, or any of these other things as being terms that that are respectable for the individual to be called if that's what their preference is. Instead of us just being like, hey, that person, this whole community is now Latinx, or this whole community is Latino, or this whole community is Hispanic, because it, it, there is an erasure that occurs. Um, so that being said, it's um, I'll probably be using <laughs> Latino, Latina, Latinx, and any other label since all are just ways of grouping and the grouping isn't perfect. But consider this, respect others' wishes and understand that language influences the way that we perceive our world. And we should allow people to identify with whatever they want. Ready? Okay. So the last segment of this episode is a tower reading. And I wanted to do a reading for offering guidance towards people who identify as Latinx and finding ways for understanding that identity and where to go from here on out. I decided to do a nine card spread, nine being the number attributed to Egung or ancestors as considered in many Afro-Diasporic traditions. And I've already gone through shuffling and I've already pulled out the cards just for the sake of getting into the reading. All right, so I'll be reading out the cards as so, and again, as you can see each card and the entire spread even on uh, my Instagram page at Ancestors and Mente. Okay, so here it goes. We have in the center the world, then the cards surrounding her are the King of Swords, the Three of Swords, the Queen of Cups, King of Cups, 
Eight of Swords, and the Empress. And the very outside of those cards, we have on the left, the Two of Wands, and on the right, the Devil. So to start off with, um, we're going to start off at the center with the World card. And looking at the details of the World card, she's this beautiful brown-skinned woman existing outside of the Earth and showing that she has basically given birth to the Earth, okay? Um, it reminds me of this documentary I was watching on Netflix recently um, called El Sendero de la Anaconda, which has to do with an anthropologist who goes back to the Amazon jungle um, to retrace the steps of his teacher. And he comes across this woman who's a chief and leader in her tribe. Um, she's known as El, uh, El Capitan, I think. And um, what is something to the she says something to the effect that women are Mother Earth and they are the color of the dirt, the sand, the red deserts, and so on. So when I look at this card, I think about, the, about having a connection and returning to our roots and remembering from where we derive. Okay, so um, good precedence uh, or a good beginning to this whole spread. Um, I look at the combination between the King of Swords and the Three of Swords and understand that that has pretty much been our history and heritage. This whole idea of like us being a colonized people, often in conflict with living the realities of that colonialism, the internalized oppression, um, and experiencing the socio-political and economic struggles here in this country and how those struggles can oftentimes be inherited and they can continue. And let's not forget about the prejudices that we can experience as well. And that's for some more than others, of course, right? Especially for people who do appear to be more of, you know, they, they show characteristics of more um, indigenous ancestry or African ancestry and so on. Um, the Eight of Swords, the card that is, is a card that I've come to associate with as having self-limiting beliefs. Um, and that talks about how all of those heartaches and disillusionments that the Three of Swords brought, brought us leaves many of us feeling incapable that we, that they can do, that they can't do any better. Um, and, and when I think about that, I, I also, you know, there's this thing about, about how much things like internalized oppression and and colonistic mindsets can leave us feeling like we're not able to do more. So that Eight of Swords reminds me of that. Um, sometimes uh, those are thoughts that are right in the forefront of your mind and you express those perceived limits, but a lot of the times they come in the form of other behaviors. So it's like choosing, um, maybe choosing the easy road or appearing lazy or uninterested or restricting yourself and how much you try to pursue something. Um, and this comes all from that mindset of like, you're just doing enough or, you know, just doing enough to survive or just to get through. And that's something that we have to break. But that's, that's what that card means for me. Um, when I look at the Queen of Cups and the King of Cups even, um, as well as the Empress, I have to say, uh, they show me that these experiences, um, once we process them and we address them, 
they bring about great strength and resistance. The Queen of Cups in this deck fills her cup at the bottom of a roaring waterfall. And waterfalls are powerful waters that move around all sorts of sediments and rocks and can be really purging. And the experiences that you and those who came before you have within them a source of great strength to weather the storm that we see in the King of Cups. And the Emperor shows us that this energy of purging, however, doesn't need to be done through the brute strength um, that, that people might want to automatically go for. But it's through, compa through compassion and flowing along with the energy of that waterfall. So waterfalls flow the way that they do largely because of gravity and, and not much else. So that's, that's kind of where I'm, you know, I see that connection. And the final two cards of the Two of Wands and the Devil reminds us of how dictating and controlling the dominant culture can be. But we see the person in the Two of Wands pointing towards the floor, which is, I think, the present and the earth and the sky, urging us to return to our roots. Remember the earth card or the earth being present in that world card that I was mentioning earlier. Um, so as we connect more with our roots, we'll be able to liberate ourselves of values that impede us upon the values, um, that impede upon the values of our people and heritage. That's it for today's episode. And I want to give you a big thank you for taking the time to listen to this first episode. Again, if you're interested, you can follow me on Instagram at Ancestors and Mente, the same name of this podcast. And you can even message me there through DMs if you have any questions or if you have any ideas or feedback of stuff that you would like to see in future episodes. Uh, you can also reach me at ancestorsandmente at gmail.com if that's a more suitable for you, whichever you like. But I would ask again if you can please, 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 por favor, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Take care. Until next time.